Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Don't mind, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark 2. We'll get there in just a minute. I'm going to open in prayer. We'll dive in and then we'll get to our opening scripture in just a second. Father, we just thank you for the chance to be in your presence today, wherever we are. And Lord, now for the chance to get into your word is such a a privilege. We can do that in this nation. We can do this wherever we are. And we appreciate the opportunity, the freedom to break the bread of life together uh, unashamed. And God, I pray that that you would help us never to take that for granted. Lord, I pray that today as we we, uh, see the truths of your word, God, may we be moved in our spirits not just stirred, but changed. And may we apply these truths in our everyday lives as doers of your word, not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, from this pulpit about 54 weeks ago, I preached a message that was called One Decision from Different. One Decision from Different. I think most of us referred to it, even immediately after I preached it, most of us referred to it as the get out of the boat message. Um, you may or may not recall, but it was during the preparation for that message that, that I had a really profound spiritual experience from which I knew that God was calling us as a church to, uh, to start what became known as the Jericho Project. Uh, as a matter of fact, the first week of December of last year was the first time that, that we used that term, those words, the Jericho Project. And boy, what a whirlwind it's been since that day, right? The days and the weeks and the months that have followed have been, in, in my estimation, nothing short of miraculous. So uh, I've been waiting for the opportunity to do this. We got the building permit. We are moving forward. Can somebody say glory? Amen. So I may get that on a t-shirt. I'm not sure. But uh, we've been waiting on this opportunity for a long time. So we're, we're excited. If all goes according to plan, 11 weeks from today, we will have a ribbon-cutting ceremony on Valentine's Day 2021 to, uh, to open what will be called House of Cherith West. House of Cherith West. We, if, you, if you don't know, real quickly, we are recreating part of our facility to house. We've been able to carve out seven uh, seven bedrooms that will house seven women, all of whom uh, have been rescued or will be rescued from sex trafficking. They will be able to complete a, a nine to 18 month program on average that'll give them the healing and the, uh, the skills, the life skills, the spiritual and emotional stability to be able to go back out into the real world, into society and live a safe and fulfilling life, having been renewed and reclaimed and rekindled. That's the, that's the purpose and the ministry of the House of Cherith. And, and I have had the privilege of sharing this vision with people in lots of different size groups uh, in, in a whole bunch of different times in the last year. Um, and, and there's a lot of different responses. I've been blown away 
by the support, by the excitement, by the, but somebody told me this week, uh, there's a lot of buzz about what's going on at Covenant Life. And I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that people are excited in this community. I've really just been blown away by, uh, by how everybody and everything has come together. One of the responses that I've gotten is rarely stated outright, but uh, is often lurking a little bit under the surface. And I don't know if you've talked about this with, with your friends and colleagues, but right under the surface, there seems to be lurking a few questions. Questions like, why in the world would your church want to have those people in your building? Why would you want those people? Are your church members, they, they ask me, are your church members okay with having those people in your services? And sometimes they say, uh, sometimes even out loud, I, I, bet you have, I bet you had a hard time convincing your church to let those people stay on your campus. And, and at that point, that's my favorite part of the conversation because that's when I get to brag on y'all because I get to say flat-footed and straight-faced, uh, it wasn't hard at all because the people of Covenant Life understand kingdom. They understand what, what's going on here and, and they're thrilled about it and they can't wait to get these ladies here so that we can help them and love on them and welcome them as part of our church. And I just want to say this because I, I don't take the time to say it enough. I am so proud of y'all. I'm so proud of this church and the way you have, you've embraced this opportunity, the grace that God has given you for me to be able to stand in the pulpit and talk about this issue week after week, and nobody, not one person, tells me, I really wish you'd quit saying that. I really wish you'd stop talking about that. I really wish we could do something a little more appropriate for the pulpit. Nobody has said a word about it. The only thing that I get is support and encouragement and prayers, and I'm just so grateful to have a group of people that God is, is using to help address this issue. So, so let me say, before we do anything else, thank you. Thank you, because it's not every bunch of people that we could do this. So today I want to answer, I want to answer those people. I want to answer those questions. Because it might be that you're getting some of those questions or some of those looks, right? Or or maybe some of you are struggling with it on the inside. And, and you you just want to know what's our foundation for this? What's the what's like the biblical reason that we're doing this in the first place? Or maybe there are people who are watching who are or or, or, or sitting here who are wondering what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so here's the reality. I, I, I know this. I've been leading long enough to know this. We're in the honeymoon phase still. We're excited. They're excited. Everybody's excited. But this kind of work is hard and it's messy. And there are going to be times that we need to remind ourselves, why, we, why are we doing this again? There'll be times that we have to remind ourselves what, what the bottom line is. There are going to be times that we're going to need to re-anchor ourselves to the word of God so that we'll have the strength and the courage to carry out the work of God. And so, so today what I hope this is is, is, uh, is an anchor for us to be able to revisit again and again if we need to. So we're going to open the word today and we're going to talk about the pronouns of progress the pronouns of progress. So now we're at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, 
Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Now, this is where it gets dicey, okay? He invited them to his house as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Not the reputable sinners. These are the disreputable sinners, okay? These, there, were many, uh, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that. So verse 16 gets a little serious here. When the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such scum? Jesus heard this and he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I haven't come to call those who think they're righteous but those who know they're sinners. Wouldn't it be cool to be Jesus? Like always got a response for everybody? Just run in the head. Are you like me? Do you only think about the cool stuff to say like an hour later when you're on the way home? Anyway, that's the way I am too. Jesus was engaging in a, in a pretty uh, progressive model of ministry. He was having a meal with people who were considered the outcasts of society. They were unclean. They were unworthy. And when the religious people of the day saw what was going on, they were absolutely and utterly appalled. They could not believe that Jesus, who claimed to be holy, was doing this. So they immediately brought, it brought, to, to, uh, they brought questions in their minds, and then they began to criticize with their mouths this model of ministry. And the essence of their criticism can be found in verse 16. And the New Living Translation from which we read said, why are you eating with such scum? Now, most of you know that for, for about 10 years, I was a middle school teacher. And it's sometimes difficult to tell from the way I abuse the language, but I was actually an English teacher. Um, that's why I get so captured by the language sometimes from Scripture. And, 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 and when I read this passage I can, I can just immediately, I can hear the tone. I can hear the implications in their statement. When they said, why does he eat with such scum? They, they meant those people. Why are you eating with those people? That's what they were asking Jesus. Now, those is a pronoun that can be used in a lot of different ways. A lot of times it's used as an adjective. But it's a pronoun in the sense that it represents a group of people. We can say those people, and we don't have to name exactly which people we're referring to sometimes. It, it, in, it, in, it indicates for us proximity, how close they are, or in this case, how far away they are. That, that, there's a lot to be learned just from, from the language that people use. Now, in the minds of the religious people of that day, those people meant people who were over there. Okay, They didn't want to be close to them. They didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't consider those people over there to be part of us. And, and, and didn't, they didn't think that anyone who was religious should be anywhere near those people. And so they called Jesus out on it. But listen, is it any different now? Is it any different in the 21st century? In, in the year 2020, do, don't we still categorize groups of people? Don't we? That'd be a good place to say yes, okay? Don't we still do that? Don't we still use pronouns for people? Of course we do. 
Where do we find those people today? Well, let's start with an easier question. Where don't you find those people? And that's easy. You don't find those people anywhere near us. We'd never be seen with those people if we can help it. We don't want to be around those people because someone might, God forbid, think that we belong among those people. And so what we do typically is keep our distance. So that's where those people aren't. Where are those people? Well, they're generally, they're generally found right at the end of our fingers. Our pointing, accusatory, judgmental, self-righteous fingers. They might be a different race. They might be a different socioeconomic group. They might be a different uh, religion. They might have a different, be from a different town or even a different neighborhood within a town. And you hear it every day. Those black people, those white people, those Mexicans, those, those Tallapoosa people, right? Those Bremen people. Those, those country folks, those city people, there, we have found 127,000 ways to divide ourselves, to separate ourselves from those people. Who are those people? Sometimes those people are just people who have sinned differently than us. Let me show it to you in Luke 18. Luke 18. Verse 9, Jesus told this story to, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray, Jesus said. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. Man, they're wearing the IRS people out. It, man, so the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. Uh, I, I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Did, did you not realize you have to bring a resume before you can pray? You have to tell God why you're worthy to stand there. Not really. The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. He said, oh God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said, Jesus said, or this, this Pharisee said, God, I am, I am glad I'm not like those people, and certainly not like that person right there. Pronouns. Pronouns. They always reveal where we are. This guy's basis for superiority wasn't that, uh, was that he wasn't a sinner. That's where, why he thought he was superior is that he thought he wasn't a sinner. But if I can play with his words for just a minute, I think he gave himself away when he said, I'm not a sinner like everyone else. No, he didn't sin like everyone else. His sin was different. But guess what? He was still a sinner. What makes him different is not his lack of sin, just in this context, his type of sin. 
And Jesus made it clear that, that although that tax collector guy was one of those people, he's the one who went home justified and forgiven. While the religious guy walked home from prayer more guilty than he was when he showed up. And that leads us to our first point today about in our pro- pronouns of progress. Jesus came to save those people. Jesus came to save those people. They asked Jesus, why are you eating with those people? Why are you talking with those people? Why are you spending time with those people? Why bother to teach those people? And the answer is very simple, because he came to save those people. They needed a savior. He is a savior. It seemed like a pretty good fit. So, so the interesting thing is the guys, these guys knew they needed a savior. The religious guys, every bit as sinful as the tax collectors, every bit as sinful as those people didn't see their own need for Jesus. So John, why are we welcoming these women? Why are we welcoming those women into our facility? Why are we spending time and money and resources on those people? I think it's very simple because they need help and they know it. They're open to receive it. They've had their pride. Life has stripped their pride away and they have a very clear view of their need for a savior. Even if they can't recognize it, even if they can't put it in those terms right now, let me, let me challenge you. Let's go to the other side of that. You walk around this town or whatever town you live in, in the Bible belt And you see how hard it is to find someone who even thinks they need a savior. You ask them, everybody's good. I'm good. Oh, I've been going to church since I was a kid. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, how's your relationship with Jesus? Right? Y'all have had those conversations. They went to church six times. They're good. They prayed one time. They're good. They are sinners and don't even know it. They, we have help and they won't receive it. We, we've been so blessed. We've been so protected in this country for so long that we've forgotten one powerful truth and that is we are all born those people. We're no better than any human being that's ever been born. Every one of the women who reside in the house of Cherith West are just as valuable to the sight of God as we are. They were on his mind when he was hanging on the cross, just like we were. He didn't just die for you. He didn't just die for me. He didn't just die for us. Jesus died for those people. He came to save those people. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we're going to have to get a clear understanding of what it is we're here to do and who it is we're here to pursue. And it's those people. You say, well, John, okay, so calm down. Like, why don't we just go preach to those people? Like, we kind of know where they live. Why don't we just kind of go there and tell them about Jesus, give them the chance to be saved, and then we can come back to Bremen. Like, why go to all this trouble? Why go to all this expense? And, and, and here's, the, here's the, the answer, and it's right out of the word of God. It's the same reason that God didn't send Moses to Egypt to preach. 
He sent them to lead them out of slavery. And sex trafficking, if there's any way to describe it, it is modern day slavery. And it's not just that. Poverty is slavery. Drugs, alcohol addiction is slavery. There are all kinds of things that are in, that are in the lives of the people around us. Those people are enslaved. And we can't just minister to their spiritual needs and ignore the chains. We cannot allow ourselves to fall in this us versus them mentality. Those people are the people Jesus sent us to pursue. It's been really interesting that, uh, not surprising, but interesting that the only, that the, the only people who have had a hard time uh, sort of wrapping their minds around this project that we're doing are church people. It's the church people that are asking the questions. It's the church people, not this church. The people in other churches are having a hard time because they're thinking about, oh, what if, what if we tried that in our church? wonder how that would go over in our church. And they have questions. The, they, they're the only ones. They're the only ones that have that those people look on their faces. For, for people who recognize the need, people who understand the issue, it seems really logical to them, even people who are not in the church, but it seems really logical to them that people who preach that Jesus is the answer should go in pursuit of those who are actually asking the questions. So we have to carry out this project. It's, it's, the, it's the vision, it's the call of God on our church, but it's the vision of Jesus Christ to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came to save those people. So those is a pronoun that kind of shows us where we're starting in our mindset. So let's make some progress now. Let's, let's figure out how to change the pronoun. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. Matthew 25 is, is a... Uh, uh, a conversation Jesus is having with the disciples and it's talking specifically about the second coming of Christ. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. He'll separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand, the goats at his left. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was naked, or I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones, confused but happy, will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothes? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, not those, these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. Now look at verse 45. In the next verse, he begins to flip the script and begins to talk to the people on his left. And he will answer them and say, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus used a different pronoun here. He didn't say those people. He said these people. 
these. Not people who are afar off, but people who are close. It's not an accusing finger. It's an open, sweeping hand across a welcome group and a close group of individuals. Specifically, Jesus was talking about the Jewish people, but from the greater ministry of Jesus, when you continue to read more and more in the ministry of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the teachings and the writings of the New Testament apostles, it's very obvious that Jesus includes in, in, in these people all people in need. Let me show you James 1 and 27. And I could give you a half dozen other scriptures just like this. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Of all the things that God could have listed that would indicate pure and genuine religion, undefiled in the sight of God, he talks about how we care about the least of these. It's clear followers of Jesus have to be concerned with those who are in need. And listen, Jesus didn't say when you find somebody in need, you should throw some money at them. He didn't say when you find somebody in need, you should throw some food in their direction. Here's a very sobering second point. We'll be judged by how we treat these people. We'll be judged by how we treat these people. Jesus, and this is a sobering thought if you haven't heard this You need to understand this. Jesus, who keeps track of every word we say and everything that we do and choose not to do, expects us to progress from a those people mentality to a these people mentality. He wants us to number ourselves among them and they among us. He wants us to recognize that except for the grace of God, it would be us who are cold and hungry and naked and sick and alone and in prison. There but for the grace of God go I. So we, we try to meet the needs of these people, but as we do it, it has to be from an attitude of community and humility. We have to treat them like family. We have to treat them like one of us. Or as Jesus said, treat these people the way you would treat him because as far as Jesus is concerned, it's the same thing. And the reality is everybody you meet is somebody's family. People have asked what it's going to be like when the, when the ladies come to church here on Sundays what, like, what's that going to look like? Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be security protocols in place to make sure there's proper accountability because they don't just get to go wandering wherever they want to go. But I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I do know what it's not going to look like. We will not have a section for them. They will not be treated like criminals. They, we won't ask them to wear a scarlet letter. We're, we're not going to put them away from us. We're going to include them among us. I've even thought about asking some of you ladies if you would sort of adopt one of them to just bring them in and let her sit with you and you just introduce her as your friend because nobody wants, wants, to, nobody wants to even imagine coming into a church and having all of your dirty laundry exposed. Can you imagine if we were required to come in and read all of the horrible things that have happened to us in our lives or all the horrible things that we've done? We'd never come to church. And so we have to treat them the way we would want to be treated. 
So we're going to just make them one of us. We're going to make them, well, John, what if I don't know who they are? Who cares? Treat them like a human being. So have they been through things we can't even imagine? Absolutely they have. But guess what? You have no idea what the person sitting next to you has been through. Just because we think we know what their business is don't mean, don't mean we know what everybody's business is. And it's not any of our business. This is our business. The truth of the word of God, the person of Jesus Christ. That's our business. No matter who it is, whosoever will can come. Those people have to become these people. They have to become our people. And listen, it doesn't matter if they are living at, at HOC West or if they're coming in right off the street. If they're hungry, it's our responsibility to feed them. If they're in need, it's our responsibility to help them to the extent that we absolutely can. Th that's the deal. Do, do we like the deal? Is that what we decided on? No, it's what he said we have to do. So, you know, pastor, do you try to verify if, if people are scamming us? Sure we do. We try to the best of our ability to make sure when somebody says they're hungry, they're actually hungry and haven't just been working the circuit from church to church or place to place. But you know what? I'd much rather feed somebody who's not as hungry as they say they are than skip somebody who is. Because it could be me. It could be you. It could be our kids or our grandkids. And here's the bottom line. Jesus is watching. And I'm not using that to beat you over the head with it. It's just a spiritual reality. He's watching. He will judge us based on how we treat these people right here among us. Humans just like us. So here's the last pronoun. Here's the, the last pronoun that reveals progress. And I want to show it to you in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was on the way somewhere when he saw this group of people. Do you know where he was going? He was, and you can grab your Bible and read that on your own time. He was going up the mountainside to pray. He was going up the mountainside to pray and to grieve over the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. But when he saw them, there's your new pronoun. When he saw them, he prioritized them above himself. Here's the point. The kingdom is always them before me. The kingdom is always them before me. It doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself Jesus did go up the mountain and prayed and grieved over John the Baptist. You do take care of yourself, but that's, but, but that's the kingdom. He took care of them before he took care of himself because that's what he called us to do. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they, when they uh, came back from going into the city in Samaria to bring, get some food? And he was right in the middle of a conversation with the woman at the well, and she was on the way to get everybody from the city. And they said, hey, Jesus, we got, you know, we got Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he said, listen, I don't even need that anymore. He said, I've got food you don't even understand. What does that even mean? 
Well, the disciples didn't understand, but Jesus understood. When I minister to them, it ministers to me. This is how he put it in another place. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says in the King James, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This version says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And then what's going to happen? He's going to give you everything you need. He's going to add it to you. You don't go seeking it. It gets added to you. When I seek to minister to them and take care of the kingdom of God, God takes care of me. See, that's the, and, and not just me in the office of the pastor, me as a child of God, as a believer, because we're all called to the same thing. The problem with American Christianity is that too often it's a me first mentality. It's about me. That's why you know there's a problem with the prosperity gospel because the gospel, this book is not primarily about how to bless you. You know, we could fill the place up if I just quit preaching the Bible. Because hundreds of churches have done it all across the country, all around the world. If you don't let the Bible get in your way, you can have a good church. If you tell people how to, how to be rich and how to be famous and how to be wonderful and how to be blessed and how everything's going to turn out great in their lives, they'll show up in droves. The problem is, one day, I'm going to stand before God to give an account for how much of this I taught you. And that gospel is not the gospel. If you, it, he calls us to give up our lives to share the gospel because he gave up his life to bring it. So if we only have eyes for our, ourselves, we will have missed the point of Christianity altogether. Let me show you um, Revelation 3. Revelation 3, verses 14 through 19. Uh, Jesus said, write this letter. Jesus is dictating uh, a letter to the pastor of the church of Laodicea. He said, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So this is from Jesus, his message to that church. I know all the things that you do. I told you he was watching, right? I know the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you, to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Jesus said, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. It's the, probably the most famous of the seven letters of, to the churches in Asia Minor that Jesus wrote to the churches in that day. Do you know why they were lukewarm? It was indifference, he said. In, indifference towards, towards whom? Towards everybody else but themselves. They were focused on themselves. Did you see the language? Did you see what they were saying to themselves? I am rich. I have everything that I need. I don't need anything. Everything's going good for me. Jesus said, no, you are poor, 
You are blind. You are miserable. You are wretched. You, you are not even close to being fine. They measured themselves by themselves and determined that they were good. But in the reflection of the word of God, they were dying of self-centered ignorance. Here's the reality of a true biblical ministry. When we lose focus on, those, on these people, we become those people. When we lose focus on these people, the least of these, we become those people. What do you mean? Those people who Jesus will look at and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Those people who will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will watch everything that they've done burn up like wood and hay and stubble because everything that they did was for themselves. Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you will hit your knees, you will humble yourself, you will grab a towel, and you'll serve each other. These people and those people, the call is to all people. That's the call of ministry. Love God and love people. And James said you can't really love people if you don't actually do something about the condition that they're in. You say, John, that, that sounds, really, sounds really hard. It sounds hard. It sounds inconvenient. sounds messy. sounds expensive. I don't think I want any of that. I don't think it's optional if we're going to be followers of Jesus. The good news is there are always incredible benefits and blessings and promises to doing what God says. And I want to show that to you in the very next verse. We stop reading in Revelation 3 and 19. We're going to pick up in verse 20. And some of you are going to be um, surprised that this is part of that conversation. Jesus said, after he said, y'all are, y'all are wretched, miserable, naked, poor. You need to repent. You need to get your act together because I discipline all my folks. Then Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. We'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Listen, behold, I stand at the door and knock is not an invitation to sinners. It's an invitation to a sinful church to repent and get involved in real ministry. To put them before me. And when we do that, when we open the doors of our hearts through repentance, Jesus will come in and sit down and fellowship with us like a friend. You want to be friends with Jesus? We used to sing that all the time. I'm a friend of God. You want to be a friend of God? You got to go where God is. You want to be a friend of Jesus? You got to go where Jesus goes. Where was Jesus? He was with those people. Those people. So I am convinced the growth of this church by whatever metric you want to use for growth the growth of this church will be determined by how well we love and serve the women of HOC West and all of the others of those people that God sends across our path and you can measure it in finances you can measure it in attendance you can measure it any way you want to do including spiritual growth and everything else but this is the key to our to our future in ministry. And here's the thing. 
even if it doesn't lead to numeric growth or financial growth, even if it doesn't, even if it means that the people of our community are not standing up and applauding when we walk in the room, if they're beginning to throw stones because they don't like where this is, where this is taking us, they don't like how difficult it is, how messy it is, it's still God's will. It's still the call. So John, how do we know that we're maturing spiritually? How do we know we're making progress? How do we know we're growing? Our pronouns will give us away. When those people become these people and they come before me, then our words will show that we belong to him above all else. That's the pronouns of progress. I want to ask you to stand with me, please. Some of you may have been expecting to hear a Christmas message today. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, here's the reality. We've already passed Thanksgiving going 112 miles an hour. Christmas is coming quick. Then it'll be New Year's. And before we know it, it'll be Valentine's Day and HOC West will be open. We had to take some time to make sure everybody's on the same page, that everybody understands this was not just something that John dreamed up in a pandemic. This is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And I want, you to be, I want you to be secure in that. I want you to be confident in that so that we're ready to face whatever it is God has for us. I, he, he's continuing to give vision. I, when we have time, we're going to talk about all the things that have unfolded and the things that we believe God's beginning to unfold and, and where, where we think God's taking us. It, it's just it's amazing. It's amazing. But we have to make sure that we're grounded on this Word today. Listen, almost every one of us have some area of our life where we keep a group of those people, right? Some people we're like, you know what? I like almost everybody <laughs> except these people, those people right here. We don't know who's going to walk in our doors. We don't know who God's going to send. And so we've got to have a heart that's wide open to receive whoever and whatever so that we can share the love of God with them. So if you, if you uh, will take the time, they're going to sing a song. If you'll take the time and just spend just a minute allowing the Holy Spirit to search your heart, we'll be dismissed together in just a minute. We've got to get our hearts ready every day. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, just, uh, we thank you for the chance to be a part of your kingdom and what you're doing in our church, in our community. God, I just pray that you would help us to prepare our hearts. Lord, we, uh, I open my heart to you now. God, I, I just declare if there's something in my heart as you search me, there's some area, some area of darkness in my heart, will you shed light on it? Lord, if there's a group of those people that I just can't, won't allow myself to connect with, I pray, God, now, before I even know who it is, I, I repent and I ask for your forgiveness and I pray that you would help me to make my heart pure and clear before you so that I can be a vessel to be used for any human being that needs to hear the word of God, that needs to be discipled, that needs to be loved. I pray that you help every one of us in this church and everyone that you're sending to be ready. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.